0: We don't often hear about, um, all the stuff that comes after getting sober. It's not often people explain to us what we need to do to, um, to, you know, become a human being again and get out there and live a life. And that's where Maria comes in. Um, it's very real. She's very, um, straightforward. If you get offended easily, you might want to leave. Um, but it's, it's honest and it's, it's all the stuff you don't hear. So. Lord's yours, love.
1: Thanks so much, Megs, um, and thanks, Mark, for asking me. And good to see everybody, Kenji. Hey, haven't seen you in ages, and everybody else. Really glad to be here. My name is Maria. I am an alcoholic, among other things. Um, and actually, it's kind of interesting to introduce myself as as that today because of what I'm going to talk about. And we'll. Um, I did the thing because. I, as Mark mentioned, I'm a writer. That's my, that's my gig. And it's also how I think Joan Didion said, how do I know what I think if I don't write it down? And in fact, I don't know what I think until I write it down. And it's sometimes better if I don't say it before I've thought it, you know what I mean? So like, that's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a bumper. Like when you're, when you're bowling and they have bumpers in the sides, it, it it helps me stay on track. So I actually jotted down a couple of things just a few minutes ago about what's been on my mind. So if you'll bear with me, I will read. It's not going to be luxury and just trust me. All right. So um, I'm just going to start with that and then we'll go into, I'll have a couple more comments and then we'll discuss. Okay. What I'm going to talk about today is relevant to recovery broadly defined. So I'll start here. I define my own recovery these days, not as recovery from, but as recovery in or toward The beauty of staying alive, if you ask me, is that the era of crisis and fear and recovering from something eventually passes and you make it out of the ditch and then you don't just sit down and kick back, you get to keep going. A friend of mine has spoken of their frustration that even after a lot of years of sobriety, things are really hard. I said, and I believe that the expectation that enough sobriety will get us to a place where things are easy is essentially a transactional way of looking at both sobriety and life. It's understandable, and I get it, and I fall prey to the same pattern of thought, thinking that I did something good or right, and now I'm owed a break. It's also naive. It's also rationally flawed. No matter how good we are, no matter how much we do or how hard we try or how long we stay clean or sober or whatever our version of recovery is, that will not earn us anything, that will not buy us ease. It will not afford us a smoother path. The expectation sets us up, not just for disappointment, but for resentment and anger and desperation. And at least for me, that way lies the liquor cabinet. There is no smoother path. There's just our own path. Briefly, I think if you told me in early sobriety that sobriety would not make life easier, I'd have said, fuck off. I'm going to go because um, sobriety and recovery, I thought it would make things easier. And I remember, um, a guy who was in a meeting where I got sober, talked about how he had cravings for the first nine years of his sobriety and it literally made me want to take my eyes out with a spoon. I'm like, that's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. Why are you doing it then? Like, if you're going to sit there for nine years craving and he looked at me like you banana cakes little thing because I'm sober, right? Like you get that. Yes, I have cravings also I'm sober. And I think what I had in my head at that time, by the way, this is a total segue. Um, What I had in my head was that sobriety would happen And then cravings would stop. I really wanted a timeline. I wanted to like, okay, year one, and then at year five, let me tell you how much more fucked I was at 20 than I was at seven. But that's just how it goes. Like, right. Sometimes. So anyway, but I didn't, at first, I really thought it was like prohibitively problematic that I would have cravings at nine years. Like, and he's like, and I'm really happy. And I love my wife and like, I'm not dead. And these things are, I'm like, no, but cravings like discomfort. Absolutely not. If there's going to be discomfort, I'm going to go, which now really cracks me up. So um, if you had told me, though, then uh, that it wouldn't make life easier, I'd really have checked out. What I would say now is that sobriety or recovery or whatever you're calling yours is, is what makes life possible. It makes life doable. Without it, you just kind of can't. It busted me out of the little cage that I had crawled into and set me free into the wild, sort of unprepared and trauma-stricken and weird and feral, Uh, but it's where you begin, it's worth the doing uh, in many ways just to have done it. It's also worth all the work that comes after, and what comes after is work, and that's just how it goes. Either you find joy in the labor of living, or you live miserably and take your little weird sick pride in that, if that's your thing. But either way, recovery is just the journey, and the journey doesn't have a destination. The journey is our life. I wasn't guaranteed an easy journey in this life, and I haven't gotten one. At this stage, my various addictions are the least of my concerns, though you may have noticed the world is collapsing, and everyone's hurting, and people are behaving really badly, and I think we're all grieving in some ways. Alcoholism and my various other isms aren't the question for me anymore, but neither is why isn't my life easier than when I was an active drunk. And the answer to that is just because life isn't easier, and the world isn't easier, and I am not an easier person, and my path is just my path. The fact is that it won't be easy, none of it, for any of us. The real question is then how do I walk my path ethically in a way that aligns with what I know and what I believe to be true, And how do I do something to help other people on other paths in a way that is honest and tries at least to do no harm? In order to walk that path, I don't have to be an addict. I don't have to be recovered. I don't have to be liked. I don't have to be admired. I don't have to be who you want me to be. No one has to tell me how to walk it. No one has to approve of how I walk it. I have to have a few tools. I have to have some chutzpah, but more than anything, I have to know who I am. This friend and sponsee of mine uh, asked me recently if I could tell them anything about how to find yourself in the aftermath of stripping away identity. How to find your way through the noise. This is what I've been thinking about lately. Is there's an extent to which identity is necessary, and an extent to which it helps us function in the world, whether it's as an addict or as an alcoholic or as a doctor or as a mother or whatever. We have roles and we have to know them in order to be effective in them. We also have potential and we have to know what that is and what we love and what we want in order to fulfill that potential in ways that can be of benefit to the world and can bring us joy. But there's also an extent to which identity can be fragile, depending on the things from which it's derived and in that sense it can be dangerous. Identities derived from aspects of our life that are clearly destructive, like I'm a junkie, are clearly problematic and can be destructive in really obvious ways. But beyond that, identity is maybe most dangerous when it's untrue. This is what I mean. In the last five years, every aspect of my life has changed. Five years ago, I would have said that my primary identities were as follows, wife, caregiver, professor, writer, daughter, friend. Most of those things I'm not anymore. I'm not a caregiver, I'm not a wife, I'm not a professor. The roles have changed and so has a lot of what I value, what I see as having value in my life and in life. Things that mattered enormously to me five years ago are things to which I no longer give any thought at all. Things I strove for and craved five years ago, I literally don't give a fuck. My identity has shifted almost entirely. The most fundamental important shift, though, came about not because of those external shifts, not because the roles changed, not because other people's perception of who I am or what I am doing or what I am for or what makes me valuable changed, but because I took the action of stripping away everything that I wasn't sure was true to see what was left. And this is what's left. And that's what my friend was asking. What do we do when our identity is shaken or stripped away or lost? Like any good question, it folds out not into answers, but into more questions, including questions about terms. What is identity? What does it mean to find oneself? What is the noise? What is the nature of the noise? What is the source of the noise? Is it necessary to find one's way through the noise? Is it possible? Is it necessary? Is it possible to find oneself, to know oneself? Once one has a sense of self, however tentative and temporary, does that self stay fixed? Should it? Can it? If it can't? which this entire line of questioning implies that it can't, when one's identity is stripped away, what's left and what's needed for us to go on living as more or less functional selves in the world. Is the world the source of the noise? Is the noise coming from the outside or is the noise coming from inside the house? Can I go on living with the noise? Can I accept it if there's always going to be noise? Can I accept the quiet if the noise stops? What happens if I'm who's left? Can I get along with that person? Does it matter how other people feel about that person? Do I even know who that person is? If not, can I get to know her? Can I see her with clarity and honesty? Can I also see her with compassion? Am I who I say I am? Or have I worked my whole life to construct an image for other people to admire that I know deep down to be false? Have I been playing a role so long I've forgotten it's a role and lost sight of who I wanted to be and lost touch with who I am? When that happens to us, and it will, what do we do? How do we find ourselves? How do we know who that self is and what we're going to do with them once we know who they are? There's a wonderful poem by Stephen Dobbins called How to Like It, and these are the last few lines. And that's what they do, and that's where the man's wife finds him, staring into the refrigerator as if into the place where the answers are kept, the ones telling you why you get up in the morning and how it's possible to sleep at night, answers to what comes next and how to like it. So the first thing I'd say, and we'll go from here into maybe some conversation, I hope. The first thing I'd say, if someone's identity has been shaken or changed or stripped away, is this good. Now maybe we can get something done. I'm happy to take questions, facilitate conversation. We can also just go to shares, whatever.
0: I'm laying an my seat. Fuck. Um, um, <laughs> I am... Um, don't really know who I am without AA to be real honest and um with everything else stripped away recently I um have been holding on to the AA part of myself with dear fucking life and the truth is is I don't stand the program anymore um and I don't know if that's just a phase or what but um I think I really needed to hear this so thank you okay thank you so much
2: Maria We want a chance to uh, say thank you as well. can do questions or general shares. Um,
3: This this is exactly what's happened to me. And it's like uh, my wife died, uh, I lost my home, I lost my job, I had to uh, come back to Ireland, uh, which I'm still debating, is it a good move? But it's, there's a that's stripping away all those things that I would have identified. Hung, I call them coat hangers that I would have hung myself on. So suddenly now I'm naked. I'm fucking bottled naked, you know? And it's like, oh, and I'm dealing with um, grief and pain, and I'm dealing with joy. And all I know is like, I came back from yoga. I had my dinner, I'm listening to you, I'm sober, I'm going to be 25 years at the end of the month, and it's like dumping everything I know, and it's like, what the fuck do I need to get up in the morning for, and the only thing I can get up for is me, but why do I want to get up, I'm trying, this is the thing. What turns me on to get up in the morning to go out into the world and go, hey, Dave's here. <laughs> and uh, the only, you know, the reason, you know, I, I'm sober, I'm in with a shot. But this is such an amazing topic. I mean, you just said so. Long. I started taking notes, like, like you know, like I was in university. I know how to do this. I taught in university. Uh, I'm going to start fucking doing pie charts and all types of, things. and it's like.
2: That's where it's at. Thank you. Thank you, David. Always good to see you, man. uh, Jonathan.
4: Thank you. Um, Thanks, Mark. I'm Jonathan, I'm an alcoholic. I hope everybody can hear me because I'm using my ear pods. So yeah, that's good. Um, (laughs) Maria, thank you so much. Uh, It was just powerful. I felt compelled to, to share because, you know, um it was like you were speaking to me and and I'm definitely experiencing a lot of that at the moment um it's like everything I thought I knew in my entire world in my entire life is kind of like up in the air or shattered on the ground I don't know something and uh it's like so you know what do you do it's it's kind of one of those things and it's like um like, like was mentioned there, you know, I get up each day and I just, I kind of do what I have to do and I get to bed sober and that's, that's kind of it at the moment. And, you know, my, my default is to want to know everything. It's to want to control everything. It's to want to question everything. And, uh, it can be a very unsettling place to be in, you know, when, when you're, you know just everything you thought you knew like that you know it's like when I was in addiction like that was my biggest problem you know now that that's gone I thought the problems would be gone and it's like there's a whole new there's a whole new set of problems and it's like problems that weren't even there when I was drinking either I was oblivious or I was just not paying attention or i don't know to be quite honest but um yeah and if i was sitting in front of my laptop right now i'd probably be taking notes and i'd be like intellectualizing everything you said and so so maybe it's good that i'm on my phone in my room so i'm just listening assimilating absorbing and and you know participating um I like to rhyme all the time. Could you tell? Uh, (laughs) But um, so anyways, I've been reading Devin Price's book on masking autism and like, I'm, I don't know how many pages in I am, but it's like, it really, really, really speaks to me. And I do not have an ASD diagnosis, but I feel strongly, um, I just Every single word on the page I'm connecting with, and it's me, it's me, it's talking about me and and that whole thing of masking and unmasking and code switching and all of this stuff um it's it's like that's you know it's like sort of. Uh, maybe my mask has come off, <laughs> and it's just me left, surrounded by. Um, I actually made a song about it. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember it now, but like in a world in a right now, when the wall when the walls came down and the mask came off, and it was just me left, surrounded by dust. You know. And, anyway, I won't go into it, but uh, <laughs> I just did. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot. There's a lot to deal with. And I don't know what to do. And sometimes when you don't know what to do, you do nothing. Um, You know, like just doing the, the basics, me coming on here, meeting all of you lovely people. That's one of the things I needed to do today. And I, I'm very grateful to Mark for including me as well. And We met recently at a convention and, you know, there's, I have lots of things like that coming up. Um, meetings, conventions, I've booked a couple of concert tickets. Um, I'm going to something in London. I'm going on a holiday, my first holiday in over a year with my dad in six weeks time. And like, there's just, I suppose I need to kind of focus on those nice things and let things unfold. And I'm probably talking too much as usual. But um I'm I'm just back from a fitness class that I uh this evening as well and that I've signed up to for six weeks. And um because I've been living in like as if there's still a pandemic in the world and I'm locked inside and I'm slowly stepping outside now again. And and so um it's long overdue and um I'm, you know, figuring out who I am, what's my identity, what's my place in the world. And amongst that, slowly dipping my toe back into the world um, one day at a time. So that's me. Um, I'll leave it there. (laughs) And I wish everybody well. And it's good to be here. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Jonathan. I'm going to jump in really quick on a couple of topics that have come up. I'm gonna, every now and then I'll jump in and tell a story because that's how any of us really understand things. It, the thing about masking and and the kind of the, the fact, I, I don't know if y'all have um, probably heard lots of folks finding a lot of resonance with the idea of neurodivergence and autism spectrum and things like that. One of the things that I've wondered is um, to what extent did we all just get very tired of masking when we were all in pandemic times um, and came back out of that with too few fucks to bother uh, masking anymore. Like, and I definitely came out with no fucks left and, and, and whether or not I have any sort of, um, diagnostic relevance, there is a sense I have of, of, I've no, I no longer want to bother. Um, because I don't care if, if, um, if someone doesn't want or, or find benefit in what I'm saying or what I'm doing in the world, that's fine. Like I don't need them to, I'm not, I don't exist by the grace of other people constructing their perception of me, I exist whether you hear me fall in the woods or not. You know what I mean? I'm the one who though Mark has been going to bed with my voice. Apparently I am in fact, the only person who ever wakes up with me ever. Um, And that I value that I like being able to wake up and not construct a self. Um, And when I walk out of my camper in the morning, I live on the road full time. When I walk out of my camper in the morning, I know exactly who steps out of that camper, and I know it's going to be the same person who walks in that night. Can I give you a name? Like, is there an identity? I'm a this, I'm a that. I really can't. And that's kind of one of the things that that I've been thinking about with identity is the roles change, right? The masks, I think, in some ways change. And here's the tiny story. Uh, And somebody mentioned that they had lost their wife. I'm very sorry. Um, for your loss, I, I I wound up very recently going on an accidental. Well, it was an on purpose date, but it turned out not to be a, a good date date situation because I met this fellow whose wife had passed a few years ago, and I met him and and he, as sometimes happens to me, said I just feel like I can really talk to you because you're listening. Are you all not listening to each other? Like listening's not that hard. He's like I just feel so hurt. I'm like why aren't other people hearing each other? Right. So he said I feel so hurt. So he spent several hours crying and and telling me about his wife which was a huge honor like a huge honor and finally he was like and I'm really having a hard time understanding why I should go on and I said you have a lot of money you could walk around giving that to people like right that doesn't that sort of justify your existence and he burst into like laughter because I'm like but I mean it like people don't have coats doesn't you don't have to have someone else tell you why you matter to know you matter right? Like You don't have to have someone tell you what you are to be that thing. And grief will not get easier by having a new, um, mask or partner or, or job. Uh, it will just come in waves like it does. And being a human being doesn't get easier by being sober. It gets doable. Right. Um, And it doesn't matter which mask you wear. It's still you. And either you get along with you and you wake up with you and you know who that is or you don't. And I feel lucky in part because I've spent so much time alone that either I'm going to get along with myself or I'm going to drive off a bridge. And I turn out to get along with myself. So I get to stick around. I'll stop talking. Um, On to Michael in pool. Michael in pool, would you like to share?
5: Hey, um... I'll turn the light on, right? So here I am, Michael in Pool. So thank you, Marina. Um, yeah, I'm. I find it difficult listening, but that's okay. Um, I don't know, it's because the mood, I mean. But anyway, um, so. Um, I like the fact that you know, I love people that go. I'm not saying you went off on a tangent because you didn't. You talked about you. But I like the idea of people not starting a share in the same old way, going through some some process. And, you know, and one of the reasons I don't like that is partly because of what you said, which is that we're growing all the time. And I love the idea that we don't come into AA like, you know, something like I remember... Someone describing, so it's imagine a sheet of white paper. Uh, Yeah, and then you start making criss, criss, crissing. Um, I haven't got a pen, I suppose it's easier. Michael's not very good at describing things, so it's like this. So you got this sheet of paper. And uh, probably, probably can't see that. <laughs> it's yeah, but it, there's a little bit of something at the end of it. In other words, we come into AA and there's some recovery inside of our willingness, and therefore we don't start with this, sh- you know, starting from zero. We don't because we've lived, we've grown, we've been alive, and therefore we don't have to. Um, we don't, uh, my eyes are closed. We don't have to spend time explaining sorry we don't, we start from where we are and not where where, where, we're yeah, we're we're not all bad we're not all bad and neither are we yeah, it's very well described isn't it in that in 60, 63 Um, but anyway so that idea that we, we, we are on a journey and the journey doesn't have to um, I think you were kind of saying it doesn't. It's not. It's not straightforward, and it's, it doesn't have to be. and It's not meant to be, and our uniqueness consists in being. My, I get 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 in touch with my Michaelness, and I don't have to. Um, I don't. I don't have to do that. Um, against your. Mariness or or John's John Johnness or whatever. So, um, I, I spent a lot of time in a being, um, almost like I've been asleep. I've been a long time in a, and I, I sometimes wonder, am I, you know, have I woken up uh, from a sleep that it was all to do with um. My my ego, really. Yeah, my ego. Uh, I thought, you know, it's hard when you think you're this. When you think. It's hard when you think that, you know, things that you don't know. And you don't need to worry about that. But, it, you know, it's okay not to know. It's okay not to be, you know. Anyway, I I don't know what... <laughs> I haven't done very well, but I know, I know that I wanted to share, and I know that um, you made some very good points, and I bet you other people bring them out. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Michael. Should we go to Joan. Hi. Oh,
6: just do that. Hi, thanks very much, Maria. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm so glad I came tonight and and, and 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 heard you. I don't normally put my hand up to share, but it just resonated so much with me and just, it, it's so powerful and made me think just where I'm at at the moment. And about identity, because I was thinking about identity today, what my identity was previously before stopping drinking. And I'm only three months sober. Um, and and I'm, I've been looking back at what I was, who I was, you know, and and thinking of the losses in relation to that. But it's just reminded me of, Forget that, put that aside. Um, And it also reminded me of identity. I was looking at my shelf there because there was a, uh, someone else mentioned about masks. It's about what I thought I was, all those masks that I wore all those years. And there was a little book by, I think he was a Jesuit priest, Powell, called Why I'm Afraid to Tell You Who I Am. And that just, it's like, who the heck am I? I've got all of these layers of mass that it's this front up there, not me. And it's just made me think, do you know what? Blank canvas. Don't even think about who you are or the past or whatever. I think it's like Dave was saying, just get up today. Do what you need to do today. Stay sober and just carry on just don't think too much about it. Um, so I, I, yeah, it's, gosh, it's made me think so much. So um, I thank you for that. And I thank you, Dave, for recommending this group to me as well. So um, yeah, thanks. All
1: right, cool. Uh, let's go to Deborah. Yeah, thanks, Clive. Um I did come
7: a little bit late so I didn't hear everything, but um what I did hear um yeah seemed to speak to me. I mean it, it kind of made me think about um something, well, yeah, it I mean it's certainly something um I think about a lot um and have been very much so recently. Um This, you know, and for a long time, um, you know, I've often sort of like sometimes I'll speak about myself as saying, I have no sense of self, I don't know who I am, and, um, and, um, like, I think I was, yeah, um, see, I can't even talk properly, because I don't know (laughs) don't know who I am um I'm just trying to like kind of make what I'm what I'm saying concise because it is it, it, it it's a oh I find it it's a subject that's kind of ungraspable it's not concrete it's it and it it is um so Okay, let me start with what I do know. What I do know is that um, I've spent most of my life trying not to be me, trying not to be um, what I believe to be me. And that has caused a lot of pain um, because most of it, if not all of it, is bad and ugly and has to be hidden away. So there's always been this... um, Drive to to um, not be seen, um, and I've been thinking a lot, a lot recently. And in, in ways, I'm I'm kind of trying to do it or not trying because is let me start where I am. If I've already spent most of my life feeling uncomfortable, now I'm going to try and just be seen. Which is going to cause me to feel uncomfortable, but at least it will be feeling uncomfortable with a purpose, um, because that's that's the only place I can start from. I can only start with what I, what I, where I am right now. Um, in terms of, you know, and, and and struggling with, you know, how do I find some how am I able to be in the world and to have some relative, um, to feel relatively at ease in the presence of others in the world, knowing that the outside world is, it ain't a nice place. um, Or that's my, you know, and again, it's something I, 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 I kind of beat myself up a bit for talking about it because I find a lot of people, they don't want to talk about it. And they tell me, you know, Oh, I don't want to talk about that. It's miserable. And, and it is freaking miserable, but it's a reality. When I step out, step outside the world, step out there, that's what's there. Um, and it's much easier for me to sort of isolate. I can control, I can control my environment. I can control my world. Um, but I don't want to be like that. I want to be in the world. I am in the world. Um, so yeah, I can I can um I think about this stuff a lot. I, I I'm very sort of not necessarily introverted, but I'm more in my internal world than I want to be in the external world. And I'm you know, I am trying to find some balance. Um yeah, that's that's kind of what um came up for me when I heard. Well, from what I did hear you saying, um, so yeah, thank you, interesting.
1: Thank you so much. I actually really briefly want to read you this quote, just uh, because it popped into my head as you guys were talking, this is from Pema Chodron, when things fall apart, uh, and one of those things, of course, can be ourselves. This is what she says. She says, when we feel lonely, when we feel hopeless, when we want to do, what we want to do is move to the right or to the left. We don't want to sit and feel what we feel. We don't want to go through detox. Yet the middle way encourages us to do just that. It encourages us to awaken the bravery that exists in everyone without exception, including you and me. Just some food for thought. Let's go to Pete. Uh,
8: thank you. Thank you. Um Hi. Hey. Uh, um, yeah, uh, look, um, I think like most uh, addicts or alcoholics, um, you know, for, for a long time, I, um, you know, part of my drinking persona was that I was a different person, no matter who I was talking to. Like I was just always wearing some kind of mask and I could be incredibly flamboyant in one room and then uh, the blokiest bloke you ever met in another and and it was just the same um like it, it never I don't know I, I just was easily able to shapeshift um a lot so I'm only five months open now so I, I have no fucking idea what I am anymore um and I I have been going to AA and I I do you know I get so much out of it in so many ways um but i have a specific question based on the titles of some of your books um which is you know i cannot fucking stand the god stuff um and um what really really frustrates me is either you know some people will say kind of like oh just fake it till you make it and then at the same time they'll say you know this is a program of honesty and integrity and it's like well my my honesty. and you know, honesty and, um, the integrity answer is I don't believe in a God, <laughs> you know, and I never will. Um, and I don't know there then there's, you know, and, and then of course you'll get back there. Well, that's just your arrogant alcoholic thinking you know like you just need to surrender more surrender more god damn it um and so anyway i, I just want to specifically ask like uh, obviously i've i've got your your books uh, ready to to start i'm in the middle of in the realm of hungry ghosts so i'm going to finish that first but then i'm, I'm going to move to to you um but but i'd just love to hear um how you kind of dealt with some of that uh in your early recovery and and what your views are now
1: Thank you so much for asking. That's I'm I'm really honored and, and I actually no nobody does ask me that actually. And so you know in in early recovery um I mean for one thing I am I, you know I belong to and to actually spend more time in some other fellowships. I'm much more involved in the Buddhist practices than I am in AA proper. Um so you know a, a lot of a lot of what I did at first was argue with everyone about everything. And so God was no exception. Like that was my job. I feel like for my first five years of sobriety was to have fights with men. I do a lot of that now in, in different capacities. And there's a more productive, um, usually work oriented or social justice oriented arguments going on. And I'm a lot more civilized, uh, but at first, but what I hear you say, what I love about it is like, you're being given dozens of cliches to choose from. Right. Like, and the problem there isn't choosing which cliche it's that all the answers are cliches. The answers for me have not been found in the slogans. Some people find a lot of value in that. Right. Like, I mean, absolutely. But like, think, think, think motherfucker. If I think one more goddamn time today, like, you know what I mean? No, you know, whatever it is, like, it doesn't matter what the slogans are They're as it's like horoscopes. They're super applicable depending on what you want you know what I mean? Like, so, so like whatever you need, like, in in the same way, you know, whatever works works. And, you know, so if the slogan fits great, like great. If the cliche is one you're fond of great, fine. But honestly, what I did at first was argue with people. And then I realized a lot more, and this is where I am now. They don't know how to be sober. Like if somebody comes in five months sober and asks somebody with more sobriety than that, how do you stay sober? I literally should be saying to you, I don't know. I will not say to you it's a God thing. It's not for me. Like maybe it is. Maybe I'll die and find out I'm wrong, right? Who knows? But whatever, like probably I won't. Probably it's not a God thing for some people. For me, I don't entirely know how I stay sober because how I stay sober isn't what I'm doing right now. I don't have to try and stay sober anymore than I have to think about breathing. I have to try not to be an asshole. Like that's what I have to try not to do. I have to try to be civilized. I have to try to be ethical. I have to try. I don't have to try to be honest. Sometimes I should try to be a little less honest, right? But I do. But there are things that I'm trying. There's efforting going on. Caring what other people think about the magical spirits in the sky is not my like concern. Like, I don't care. And if I walk into a meeting and they're like, you're doing it wrong, I'll say, great, fine. Thank you for sharing. But, but I will tell you, as a woman, I'm so used to being told how to think that I don't even pay attention anymore. Like, honestly, I don't care what people tell me about how I'm supposed to do things because so far, so good. Like, I'm not great to be around all the time, but I'm definitely not fucking up anybody else's life right now. And I'm not drunk and I'm healthy as hell. So in that sense, how bad can it really be? I'm good to people. I'm um, honest and I'm not being destructive in any way that I am aware of. So how? Wh- who cares what they think of God and how they think I should be? Believing and and like now, how do I deal with it in AA? I don't, I don't. That's sometimes the best option for me is to shut the hell up and go. You go ahead with your truth, friend. You're like you go on with your bad self. So I hope that answers the question, sort of. Anyway, Kenji.
9: There okay. we go. Hi everybody. Hi Maria. Hi everybody. Kenji. I identify as an alcoholic addict and human in recovery. Um my primary con- um connection to the world and to humanity is via Zoom um, from right here and at my desk. Um and um and, and I love Zoom, and I find the biggest problem with Zoom at this point, three years into it being all Zoom all the time, is listening. Because it's so easy to be at a meeting and just not listening to you. Just there are other distractions. There's, I mean, I got two big screens in front of me. I can bring up Facebook on one of them or check my messages on the other. And and um, it's really easy to be physically present but not present at all. Um, and so that's one of my challenges, but that's not what I want. Momentum, forward momentum, static inertia. That is, so I, so I wrote, when you started sharing Mario, you said something that made me write down a phrase, which was ditch hyphen adjacent. You were talking about, you fall in a ditch, you get up and you move out, you keep going. And, So I wrote down ditch adjacent because for me, the challenge here is not to be, to fall into just being used to being ditch adjacent um, for a long time. So I stayed sober for a number of years, then I relapsed and the relapse was horrendous and I was gone for years. and, um, And then for the last two decades plus, I was in and out. I was sober for a couple of months and then I'd go. And in a way, that was that was safe in a weird, horrible, destructive way because I didn't have to face what's next um, because it was Groundhog Day. It was going around and around the same cycle over and over again, of you know struggling out of the ditch and then going whoop, slip so on a banana peel and back in the ditch, and um, and being in the ditch sucks, but it's um, but it's simple because I don't have to worry about who I am or where I'm going or how the world is working. I just have to think about, um, you know, getting and using in ways and means to get more, as they put it in NA. And um, so now here I am at just past three years sober for the first time since I went out in 1993. Um, and You started talking about the ditch and suddenly I'm thinking, man, you know, here I am. I kind of was thinking, let me just put some time together and then I can move, figure out what I'm going to be and what I'm going to be and, um, and who I'm going to connect with and all those questions. Um, And, but I think I kind of forgot that I was going to move on at X amount of time. Like one year seemed like a reasonable amount of time to think about then having a life. And um, now it's 38 months, and I'm probably in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, I'm really grateful to steal my on the top side of the grass. I'm really, I'm, my glass, when I look at my glass half full, it's way more than half full, even though I don't have a lot of money, I, but my basic needs are taken care of. I live in a beautiful place. I have um, housing security, which is major. I have food security um, and all those Um, And I am connected to my secular tribe on Zoom around the globe. You know, I have a host of friends around the globe, and that's amazing. And it is really amazing. And in other ways, I'm just kind of sitting here waiting for, which interesting is the name of your book, about recovery. Um, I hadn't planned on making that auto association there. It just popped out. Um, a book that by the way I love. It was so instrumental for me to read that book because you talked about working your way through um deeply working all 12 steps without a belief in a in a deity. And um and it totally confirmed to me that if you could do it, I can do it, and that it's that I'm not just working a an AA light program, that it's that it's real. Um but but I'm thinking I'd need to do some writing today on, um, on ways in which I can be more ditch distant, um, than I presently am. I'm really, I'm very habitual. I'm just used to going to the same meetings at the same time and sitting in the same chair and kind of doing the same old, same old and, um, time it is a wasting. And, um, and, um, Yeah, I'll stop right there. Thanks. Thanks for Thanks for the meeting.
1: Thank you so much, Kenji. It's so good to hear you. Uh, Good to hear your thoughts. And I just briefly on on the ditch adjacent thing, one of the questions that I do ask myself a lot, and this does help me whether it's to stay sober, just to kind of stay on track is, What are the ways in which I'm still doing the thing? Like whatever the thing is, like whatever it is that caused me to be an alcoholic and a junkie and an anorexic and just like all over the map, whatever the thing is, whatever it is that I was seeking and the craving and the craving and the more craving and the attaching and the whatever that is, what are the ways in which I'm ditch adjacent? Like what are the, what are the things that I'm still doing? And whether it's waiting when I shouldn't be waiting or whether it's running when I no longer need to be running you can, it doesn't look the same every time, right? Like a lot of people will be like, you're in addictions and they're doing push-ups. And if that's an, if that's a cliche, that's like your cliche for the day, great, that's fine. What I think about it is, is there's just this, there's this thing that, that gets me out of alignment. And that way is the ditch. And that way is the ditch. There's ditches everywhere. And doesn't mean I have to be walking like the straight and narrow path of a life. I don't, that's not how I feel. The middle path to me has a lot of latitude But when I veer straight for the ditch, which I do on the regular, I need to be paying attention to what it is. And I also need to be aware that it's not going to look the same at 50 as it looked at 35, as it looked at 27. You know, it's going to change. It's going to change. And the ditch looks different every time. Sometimes it looks like a pretty little pond, you know? So thank you for that wonderful, uh, wonderful metaphor. Thanks, Kenji. PJ.
10: Yep. Can you hear me? Cool. Um, Thanks very much. Uh, My name is Pija. I'm an alcoholic and uh, I live in uh, Sydney, Australia. Uh, So I'm very, what I call old school Sydney AA. So when when I came into AA in the 90s, uh, like they said, three things, don't pick up the first drink, go to meetings of AA that suit you and try and lend a hand, help others get in sober. Uh, I'm an atheist that only took me 18 years to figure out in AA. So I come from this kind of embracing AA and prayers and big books and all that to figuring out I'm an atheist. Um, I enjoyed listening to you. A lot of what you said, I'll be honest, is kind of high end for me. It's just a bit over the head a bit. So I kind of tuned into a couple of things and uh, and one of them was uh, the waking up in bed, you know, and, and why kind of bother and, uh, When I was newly sober, like early sobriety is really hard, like not sleeping well, the nerves shot, the racing mind, going through a divorce. Uh, But the getting out of bed bit was to go to work, to earn money, to pay my mortgage, because I had no blood family in Australia, like all my family were in Ireland. And if I didn't do that, I would lose my home. Uh, So, you know, it was basically, I'm very practical, like it's necessity And then, you know, the other thing the old-timers got on to me about is, you know, well, I'd, I'd be complaining about my divorce. You know, I'd be complaining about what she wants, and I'd be whinging. And they'd say, well, you know, did you wake up in a clean, dry bed today? And, of course, I would think, and for those of you on the screen who are alcoholics, you know what it's like to wake up in a bed with urine, excrement, and vomit, you know. So when I wake up in a clean, dry bed, before I've even started my day, I'm ahead. And that's sort of how I had to, to look at it. Um, yeah, like I, I'm I'm not a program person. I'm not a step person. I've been there like I'm very much fellowship driven. And, you know, particularly the stories of the big book, the early members, they were always hanging out, drinking coffee till all hours, eating donuts, and just trying to help. And that's very much my sobriety. Uh, with identity, to be honest, if I ask myself, you know, to think about it, my head is empty as an election promise. I, I just don't have any idea what that is, but I I know what to do. And I mean, an old timer said to me in AA, he never wants to get to a stage where he's a fall down drunk, legless under the kitchen table and be able to explain to you exactly how that happened, but not know how to put the drink down. stay down so so how do I stay sober I don't pick up the first drink it you know it's as simple as that I don't work programs uh, like if you listen to a guy called John Huey a lot of what he says without his personality right (laughs) Uh, is that straightforward don't drink go to meetings get involved and um, I remember a guy Bill from Paddington said to me one day you know it's okay to be not okay It's okay to not understand because I'm over three decades sober and the last four days I've been all over the place and I went, here we go again. But I didn't pick up a drink over it and it passes after time. And I think sobriety for me has gotten easier because it's just experience. Like I started life as an engineering apprentice. So I didn't know very much. I didn't have experience, but like 10 years, it took me 10 years from the day I walked in that I could fix most things and not break stuff and a lot of you learn from experience and sobriety is a bit like that you sort of just learn um, and I will say you know with my with my mind I'll describe my mind you know um, so you know if, if people ever go to these sheepdog trials and they see these farmers with a whistle and they have a border collie like a lassie dog and it's rounding up sheep and it's putting him into a pen and all and this looks lovely and they think, I'm going to buy one of those. That's a really great animal, and they buy one, but they live in a really small apartment in New York or somewhere, right? Or Sydney or whatever, and the thing goes crazy. It just eats the furniture. It just goes up the walls because it's a cattle dog. It's a working sheep dog. It should be out running around, okay? That's my mind, okay? The one thing it does not want is to be quiet. So what I find is I give it activity that is constructive. And one of the earliest tips I got in AA in the beginning was if you got a sink full of dirty dishes, wash up. It's tactile. In 10, 15 minutes, you have a result. Washing, you know, these kind of things that engage me. So I can't meditate. I've tried it. My border colleague goes crazy. Uh, I just need to occupy it with constructive things. And, you know, I'm quite sure if I went to a psychiatrist and honestly told him about the three-ring circus, that is the reality between my ears, if I was allowed to leave the surgery, which I might not, they would I would walk out with two things. One would be a diagnosis of some sort for some mental problem, and the other would be a prescription. Now, I know I simply have a very fertile imagination coupled with a lot of sensitivity as a human being. And I I know how to, to deal with it. So that's sort of my thing. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, the old timers in Sydney were very uncomplicated about this. And I remember I was about 10 years sober and I went to a meeting and I was, I was just off the air and there was a guy called Carl who got sober in 1955. Like AA was only 10 years old. He was sober a long time, 50 plus years, you know, And uh, he asked me how I was. And what I love with Carl is when he asked you, he was really concerned about how you were. And I said, well, you know what? I'm a bit off the air. And, you know, my my job's going great. I'm married with kids. And I can't really put my finger on it. But I'm just not quite there. And he said to me, just he didn't say open the big book and go to page whatever. (laughs) He just asked me a question. He said, how much service work are you doing? None. None. So I got involved. And guess what? That feeling passed. But it's been really lovely to hear. I read your book very early on when I first came across you. So and thank you for giving the lead. Uh, It's been marvelous to be here. And Mark, thank you for uh, having us all here. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks so much, PJ. It's really good to hear from you again. Hazel.
11: Hi, I'm Hazel. Um, it's my first time at this meeting, so um, I'm a bit confused <laughs> as to what's going on. But do you know what? I've actually really loved it. Like, thank you so much. I'm not sure how. To, is it Maya? Um, Maria, thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for everything that you said. And my deepest sympathies to the gentleman that shared about losing your wife. Um sorry to hear that. You know, I was just like listening to everybody. I wasn't going to come in because it's my first time here. And I'm like, this isn't like a normal meeting and blah, blah, blah. So I was listening. But then once you started speaking, I really started to connect with what you were saying. Like you started off quite early saying that he told you when you got into recovery at the beginning that actually it was going to get hard. You would have told them kindly to piss off. And I'm like, I am with you there because what I was hearing, your life's going to get better. It's going to be the best thing you've ever done. And I'm just, like, four years clean, like, this is not my experience. I am so confused. I am frightened. I am going, sorry, I don't swear, but I'm going crazy. I'm, like, I feel like I've just been plonked in the middle of the world. And I'm just, like, walking around, looking at everybody, thinking, is this real? What is real? Am I real? Blah, blah blah. And you were speaking about roles and stuff and all the roles we play. And that got me thinking about my son God love him and, you know, I was thinking. You know, all my life, you know, I had my son when I was twenty-one, and he's almost twenty now. And all my life, and this was just a realization I had. I've always introduced myself as Leon's mom. You know, never Hazel. I've always introduced myself as Leon's mom. And now that he's older, and I don't have to introduce myself as Leon's mom, it's like, oh, so I'm just Hazel now. So like, I feel like I'm kind of like, you know, obviously. I'm always going to be his mum. Of course I am. But the the need for me to kind of play that role, you like, it's lessening. And I feel like that mass that is dissolving right off me. And it's just threw me into like, I'm going to be honest, like a bit of fear. But what it's done is it's pushed me deeper into, I don't know, my soul, my heart, something, where I'm like, okay, who am I? And I know it might not even matter who I am. It might not it's like all my life I've I've been a drug addict I've been this I've been Leon's mom I've been that I've been th- the the team leader at work or this or that and it's like well no because actually you're not I, you're not them things you know so what what I'm finding is like you mentioned this and I was really grateful that you shared this like you spent a lot of time on your own and I was like wow because that's where I found myself like I'm in a place where I've never, ever been able to spend so much time in my own energy or with my own self to hear who I am, to hear what I like. So then when I kind of, like, go to my meetings and I'm saying that, they're like, oh, well, now you're isolating. And I'm like, well, I can't. win." like, I'll, you're telling me to go and find myself. I'm trying to go and find myself by being with me and learning how to be with me. And then you say, oh, you better watch that isolation. And I'm like, oh you know I find it confusing I'm a bit like oh my god you know and then like I feel I do you know I think the only way that I could describe the dissolving of kind of what I'm going through with with not being so needed as much as a mother is like I feel like I'm grieving a little a little part of I don't know it's all I've known yet then when I speak about that it's like well where are you being selfish and self-centered and I'm like I'm just I'm just missing my son (laughs) Just missing my son. He's 20, he's got his own life. You know, he doesn't need me anymore. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of selfishness there because i just wanted him to stay with me forever. But is that not okay? Is that not just okay that maybe I just miss my boy? You know, and I think sometimes I just get so confused with it all because I'm like, I don't, I'll be, honestly, it's like just, it's a minefield. What is isolation? Right. If I spend the whole day on my own, have I isolated? Well, actually, no, because I've really, really heard my own voice. You know, I've heard that, like, a lot of things have come up. Like, I thought, oh, you want to be in a relationship. No, I don't want to be in a relationship. I want to be in a relationship with myself. You know, I'm a massive champion of what the guy just said before, like, uh, being of service. You know, but for myself personally, I feel that's kind of being of service to the world. You know, when I said I feel like I've been took from one world and planted in another, it's like my eyes has opened and... You you touched on this as well. You said like the world's it's gone a little bit mad out there and stuff, and you can just see the pain. You know, you can see the pain, and that gives me the no, um, oh, it hurts. It I can feel that in my heart. You know, because I do feel quite lucky because I can attend meetings like this and just just speak. Doesn't matter whether I make any sense. Doesn't matter if I know what I'm saying. Who I am, you know, it, it's okay. And then you travel around the world, and you're just like. Oof. You know, is it not OK that, you know, we are where we are just doing what we're doing? And, you know, thank God we're not we're not you know, we're not on the streets anymore or we're not abusing our bodies anymore with substances and we're not having to do the things that we had to do. You know, thank God that I can hold that door open for the person or I can help a lady with a shopping. You know, do I have to be so hard on myself to find myself? Will I not find myself for being of service to the world? And that's kind of where I'm at. It's like I'm, I'm massively confused. You know, because I've got the ego. It's like, shut up, don't say that. I start saying, like, oh god, you just, and you know, I can really see where my ego inflates, and it, and it, it's, it's difficult. It's real difficult because it's like I've never. Um, I've loved. I've loved this meeting. I've loved that people have been so honest and just said, Do "You know what? I don't know." That is like a freedom to my mind. My mind has gone so quiet, so quiet. Like I can really feel my heart. I can feel you, your guys' energies. Just because somebody else admitted that they don't know. Do you know why? Because that connects me. Because guess what? I don't know either. So you really um. You really unlocked something within my heart. So I can only thank you for that by what you were sharing, because it was almost going into my heart. I could feel it going in. Um, I would love to get, um, I've never met you, so I do apologise when I say this, but I would love to get the name of some of your books if I could, um, so I can have a read of them. Thank you so much for this meeting. It has really, really helped me so, so much. I cannot tell you how much it's helped me. I'll pass the time. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Hazel couple of people have asked this question. The book that people are mentioning is called Waiting, A Non-Believer's Higher Power. Uh, it came out <clears throat> quite a long time ago and I'm, I'm doing different sorts of work now, but if it's useful, there it is. It's called Waiting, A Nonbeliever's Higher Power. Welcome to take a look. Um, I wanted to just say like to the to the point about admitting I don't know, one of the things that I think is hazardous about identity and one of the things that can be fragile about identity is when I first when I first became a, a semi-public person, my mom, who's a very wise person said to me, the only advice you really need is this never believe your own press, good or bad. And I know people who fall for their own press, right? Like I know people who believe themselves to be the image they have constructed. And I also know them not to be those people. Um, I am, I am grateful to not have a lot bound up in how I, like, if you don't like me, that's totally okay. Like, I don't need to know. I also don't dissolve if you don't, right? Like, I continue to do my work. um, And I continue to be like, you know, I walked in. Mark was like, don't call yourself a dingbat, sir. I am a dingbat. I am a dingbat and a ditz and I forget stuff. Like, I mean, and it's fine, Like, that's not my skill set. My skill set is elsewhere, right? Like, and so knowing my limitations and acknowledging my limitations is part and parcel of a healthy identity because it's only this big. It's not huge. It's not tiny. It's just, I'm a self, like, right? Messy and flawed and cool in a couple, three, four ways. And the rest is just fucking mess. That's good, right? Like, as Hazel said, is that not enough? It is enough. Right. And that prevents me from when someone says, I just can't stand you. I don't go poof up in smoke. I'm like, I'm super sorry. We don't need to continue this conversation. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. The world doesn't end. I don't end. I get to continue doing the work that I'm here to do, which is not to be loved universally. You know what I mean? It's not to be perfect. So let's go to D. Hey,
12: everybody. I'm D. alcoholic. And I say that I like to because it reminds me I can drink, but not safely, not safely. (laughs) And thank you, Maria. I loved what you read and I loved what you said. And I read it. I I have not. I'll cover my face. I have not read any of your books, but I probably will after this. (laughs) And I usually prefer reading to listening because my mind trails off. It gets very active, too. And uh, so I have to give it something interesting to play with so it won't get me into trouble. So um, anyway, there was another book that I read a long, long time ago for the first time. And the first sentence is life is difficult. And I thought, oh, what a negative attitude. This is not what I want. How do I fix this? (laughs) And I found there are plenty of other books that say pretty much the same thing. There is suffering. And I'm like, no, that's not the life I want. I want this other one. And um, I had these beliefs, you know, that I was supposed to control and keep things fixed and and make things the way they should be, the way they're supposed to be. And um, I had several years of of sobriety and uh, I've lost more in sobriety than I did while I was drinking. The pain was the misery mostly on the inside. A lot of financial and people things seemed to be going fairly well while I was drinking, well, until they didn't. But after some time in sobriety, I was. there were a lot of things going on and there was major upheaval and a lot of that had to do with identity and a lot of it had to do with family and other things that I had no control over that I hadn't done anything about. It was other people's decisions, but I was trying. And I had several people, many people in the program, NAA, who said, no, 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 no. If you do this right, you get your house back. You get your family back. You have good relationships with all of your family and your friends, and your mother will become your best friend. You just won't believe it, and she'll leave you her house. And, I'm like, these things were not happening. And uh, with all the pain of everything that was going on, I finally hit a spot where I said, maybe they're all right. Maybe those people are right. Maybe my family is right. Who said, don't go to those meetings. You don't need those. And I thought, maybe this isn't working because I'm not in the right spot. Maybe I'm not really an alcoholic. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't matter. And I don't know where the solution is. I thought that was the last house on the block. And if I can't even do this right, I am really screwed. Well, it wasn't any better out there, and the misery was still on the inside. And I would not recommend it to anyone. But a little over 15 years ago, I came back, and a lot of that old thinking and those old supposed tos and those old shoulds got kind of straightened out. And so uh, that's the part I wouldn't trade for anything. Um, I don't know about all the rest of it the houses and owning the businesses and the house on the lake. And, all of my family thinking well of me because that still didn't happen. But nobody gets to dictate to me what it looks like from the inside. Nobody gets to dictate to me what those supposed to's are, what it should look like, what my journey has to be, because I didn't get to do that. Nobody else does either. I had to dig in and find what it is. So that part of it, I really appreciate, and I absolutely love the way that you put a lot of that and a little bit more. So thank you for listening, and I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for the meeting, Mark and Tisnu. and glad to be here.
1: Thank you so much, Dee. Great to hear from you. Appreciate that. Nancy Ann, I believe you are next.
13: Um, Hi, I'm Nancy Ann, and I am an alcoholic. And um, what this meeting has made me think of is uh, recently I listened to a podcast about Virginia Woolf's essay, A Room of One's Own. And uh, she's a hero of mine. And uh, I've read most of her things at least once. And um, it made me realize that um you know for many years drinking and in sobriety uh i always tried to fit into somebody else's <clears throat> somebody else's definition of me you know i did did not have a room of my own and uh and i just kept kept trying i had a very strong life force and will to live and uh you know i started out attempting to be a sober person when i was in my late 30s and i'm now 82 and so i've been in and around the program for a long time and uh went to a jungian therapist for years and years uh and it's just now you know, I came back into the program a little over three years ago after a, a, a hellacious uh, uh, ex- escapade in the life of the cocktail <laughs> just about killed myself and uh, <clears throat> and I'm beginning to feel like I'm finding that room of my own, and it's inside you know the internal world, the world that lives inside Nancy Ann. Is actually a very rich and interesting place, and sometimes disturbing. Uh, You know, it's not always beautiful, but it's me. And there's something about being old and having been, you know, attempting various iterations of recovery that I've arrived at a place where I'm kind of with you. I'm like, I really don't give a damn what people think of me. And, uh, you know, I don't really care to have anybody telling me what to do.
11: And I'm
13: surprisingly jolly and peaceful. Most of the time, even though I'm, you know, even though my body is definitely falling apart. You know, I have all these age-related ailments that are indicative of the end of life. And, you know, when you reach that point, somehow, at least for me, my perspective has changed completely. Uh, I don't even know that I can put it into words. But um, it's a very profound, profound experience. And uh, sometimes I have to give myself a break by watching a bad movie or doing a crossword puzzle. So, <laughs> but I am delighted to be here today and to listen to you. Uh, to your, I mean, you're just wonderfully articulate and very, very inspiring
1: so thank you thank you so much I was just going to say how inspiring it is to hear from you, what wisdom, thank you Paul over to you
14: thanks very much Maria for your sharing and uh, I was drawn to the meeting um because I saw the, the leaflet where getting sober without God and uh, if anyone's had more trouble with the word God word in AA than me I haven't met them yet and uh, um I've just spent 21 years in traditional AA till this December, and I've only just discovered secular meetings. And um I've been standing outside the herd in traditional AA as an atheist. I've done the chair at atheist meetings, and I often tell people that I, I don't believe in God, haven't read the big book, and I've been here for X amount of years. Um, and I do that because at my second or third meeting, a chap shared that he didn't believe in God, hadn't read the big book, and he'd been there 14 years. And that just that statement saved my life because I thought I was joining some kind of religious cult. Uh, My second most important thing that was said to me early on by a lady teacher was, uh, do what works for you and leave the rest. And um, because there's so much stuff um, I find, as I say, 12 and 12 just did my head in. I think I, I went to one meeting where they read one paragraph. That was enough for me. Um, I'm a very much a KISS person. Keep it simple, stupid uh, was the sign that was on the, my my home group. Um, you sort of mentioned in there somewhere sort of finding out who I am. And I think with years of sobriety under my belt, I have looked at who I am. Um, getting involved in AA meetings and sharing has built self-confidence, um, and I think uh, also I picked up a drink after 14 months in AA, which was the worst experience of my life. Um, and I picked it up because I wanted to drink because I'm an alcoholic and uh, it took me to the darkest place I can imagine. And I'm lucky to be alive. Uh, had a rope been in a certain drawer, I wouldn't be talking to you now. And that was 20 years ago in uh, July. Um And I wish I could give what I have to other people because to drink is to die. There's just, I don't have to read anything to tell you that, you know. Um, I might as well put a gun to my head. I was told in my early meetings, uh, acceptance is the key. And I wanted to punch the guy that said that to me at the time. But uh, he and I laugh about it every now and then. Um, But it's just so true. I know uh, if I take that first drink, it kicks off craving and mental obsession. And I didn't know I had that till I sat in an AA meeting. Killed my mother at the age of 44 on a bottle of gin a day, and even witnessing that didn't stop me drinking for another 22 years. Um, I just finish on that, uh, you know, I'm glad I found these secular meetings and uh, uh, I wasn't aware of them until recently, as I say, but... uh, In 21 years in AA, I found it very difficult, but uh, I, I have to share that message I heard in my early meeting that I don't believe in God or any religious kind of being. And for me, I just don't drink one day at a time. I try and stay away from that fuck it moment. I go to regular meetings, I get a home group, I keep things simple, and I try and help someone else. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Paul. Still all wonderful advice and guidance. Thank you. Um, Good to hear from you. Let's go to Jenny. Uh,
2: Focus wise, and um, anyway, one thing that struck me: the person he was a doorman over on Central Park West, and I was walking by him one day years ago with my dogs on the way to the park, and um, he said loud enough for me to hear him: "There's a girl." that doesn't take care of herself, and my heart sunk. I thought, "Wow, man, is that obvious?" Like, I thought I was doing well by hiding in my coats, behind my scarves and hats and glasses, and apparently not. But he had a he had a uh, an insulin dependent diabetic sister that he was very close to, and so he had that kind of a radar, you know. And I'd known him for years, and. Um, Although it kind of stung, I'm glad he said it because it woke me up. Um, I, I was going through hell at that point and I was gaining weight and I was miserable and hadn't slept and was very stressed out and uh, I just couldn't hide it anymore, apparently. Um, I, I tried not to attach my identity to anything, um, you know, live in the world, but not of it. I I want to live of Jennifer, you know, um, and that to me is contributionism, not what I'm soaking up necessarily, but what I'm I'm giving out, you know, what I'm expressing and uh, trying to do and whatever. Um, Anyway, I hope that made some sense. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Jenny. Good to meet you here. Kevin near Seattle.
15: Yeah, thanks. Huh, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. A little on the neurodiverse and autistic side. You know, as I was listening along, the big question that came to my mind is, how many different ways have you heard how to pronounce your name? <laughs> and um, but yeah, and, uh, I did kind of miss your talk, but I got most of the question and answer session there. And um, I was gonna put in a plug for we have a Kesnua has an unmasking autism book study on Thursdays. Put in a plug for that. And as a host, of course, I plug it to to use more people. But you know, I'm a poster child for someone who should have been diagnosed as neurodivergent way back when, an upper middle class white boy in America. You know, they didn't diagnose girls back then. You were fine, you know, and um, minorities. Well, it turns out the psychiatrists that came up with this stuff were all white, so they didn't matter either. And, um, you know, uh, it's. I would have this snarky comment and explain how I knew I was autistic because I bonded with the bottle instead of with other people. But another way of explaining it was that what it felt like is, you know, as we alcoholics live those double lives of going to work and being the good employee or whatever, and then, you know, going out and getting hammered, that's certainly a form of masking. And it was a lot like that only without the booze either, you know, having this kind of double life inside my head and what I would try and project and, um, uh, I'm self-diagnosed from a couple of years ago from one of our members, started a meeting I was a support thing, but it it brings me tremendous comfort, and I get to feel like a lot more authentic person than I ever used to in that first 60-some years of living, and um, I'm really grateful for that, and I've been loving this discussion. You bring great energy to the room. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin. It's great to meet you here. Um, as Mark knows, I think I teach uh, soon and gotta switch Zooms and go in and, and put on my professor identity. Um, so I thank you all so much for being here with me today and with each other. This has been an amazing experience for me, and I will gladly bump into any of you all in any of the rooms, anywhere, anytime. Um, if you if you ever need to get a hold of me directly uh the actual website this i'm not kidding mark uh sorry about this but in fact you can get a hold of me through my website here uh i'll just put it in here this is in fact my website because i'm working on a new project um and so uh if you're interested in the project by all means you know buzz me but mostly if you need to get a hold of me if anybody's looking for sponsorship connection whatever please uh hit me up it's amazing to meet you all thank you so much for having me mark over to you
13: Thank you, Maria. I won't keep you. You need to go. But before you do, does everyone want to say a quick thank you? Thank, you,
2: thank, you, Maria. thank you, Mario. Great. Thank you so thank you much. much. You guys. Oh, thank you. Take care. Nice. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you.